You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. One of the hardest things for me to see is when marginalized people are taken advantage of in the world. Like anybody else that just bothers you, and I'm talking, you know, maybe it's sick, maybe it's injured, maybe it's elderly people. There's so many people where they have this huge target on their back for abuse. And it comes in all kinds of different forms. You might see email scams or insurance frauds or Ponzi schemes or, you know, any, any, even violence happens towards people. And it finds its way to the marginalized community more than anybody else. It's this shameful abuse that happens financially, emotionally, physically, and sometimes even spiritually. Because I, I can't stand up here and tell you that, it's, that this type of abuse is reserved for, for scummy people working in secret, untraceable call centers around the world. No, it, it actually, sometimes it even happens in, in, in the church, where, where pastors will prey upon uneducated and, uh, and manipulate people, and they will give their last dime to snake oil ministries that promise them health and wealth and happiness if they just give to their ministry and guys, I, I know this firsthand. I have, I've sat with people that have been exposed and have experienced that type of abuse. I've sat across from a husband who, um, who after the offering plate was passed, he felt all this pressure from this church that they were at after it was passed multiple times, actually took the wedding ring off his wife's ring and put it in the offering plate because he felt like he, that was all he had left to give. I know that wives were, were treated more as property than they were people. I know that there's pastors that will actually, that they told people the end of the world was coming unless they bought this certain water for purification system that was only purchased through the church. And if you did that, then your family would be saved. I, I wish I was making those up, but I have seen that firsthand. I've seen the painful side effects of abuse. And, and I find this so hard to understand. And it literally makes my blood boil when I, when I hear this because it is never how Jesus intended it to be. Jesus never was trying to manipulate or take advantage of the marginalized. He was always the opposite of that. Jesus constantly throughout his ministry stood in the gap for the marginalized and the vulnerable. Luke chapter 8, we see that Jesus elevates the, 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 the status of women and the value of women Earlier in Mark chapter one, we see how Jesus would actually hang out with the unclean. Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus bring children close to him, even though society pushed them away. We see in John chapter four and Luke chapter 11 that Jesus even interacted with ethnic groups that he wasn't supposed to be, uh, in, for instance, the Samaritan people. So Jesus, time and time again, was always for the outcast, never against the outcast. So, so in Mark chapter 11, we're gonna continue to see this this play out as we continue in our Mark series. So if you have your Bibles or your Crossroads Grace app, Mark chapter 11 is the chapter that we'll be looking at. Melissa, go ahead and put that link in for our online community right now, Mark chapter 11. And as we walk through it, you're gonna notice that Mark 11, the beginning portion of it, really is a bit strange when you really unpack it. And I'll explain a little bit more as we go, but if you would, look in Mark chapter 11, start in verse one for me. And there it says this, it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. So I need to push pause here and I need to put, get our bearings a little bit as far as what we just read because there is a lot of significance in, in the location that we just read about. 
We just talked about the Mount of Olives. Now, the they that we're referring to is Jesus and his disciples, but they get to the Mount of Olives. So as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, this major city, he does so by cresting a hill or a mountain that's known as the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives sits about 2,600 feet above sea level, and it actually is a breathtaking view of Jerusalem when you're at the top of it. I was on the Mount of Olives on my trip to Israel, and I can tell you that when I sat and took in the city, it was, it was amazing. But the significance of the Mount of Olives is not reserved just for a picturesque scene to be able to take a picture in front of when you're at Israel. The Mount of Olives has major biblical significance to it. The Bible first describes the Mount of Olives as a place of prayer. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that King David is actually, uh, actually walking up at barefoot while he's praying and crying because he's on the run from his son Absalom that wanted to kill him. Zechariah chapter 14, the prophets of Zechariah and Ezekiel are on the top of Mount, uh, Mount Olives and they're prophesying about the judgment and the eventual restoration of the people of God, even though at that point they were in exile. And in the very same uh, chapter of Zechariah, he describes the Mount of Olives as the location where the Messiah would return to when he comes to judge the living and the dead. So uh, Zechariah 14.4 says, on that day his, this is Jesus, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. So, so Jesus even found the Mount of Olives to be significant during his ministry. He would often retreat to that location. And we see that several times in scripture. Luke 22 tells us Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Jesus visited the Mount of Olives three times in the week leading up to his crucifixion. One of those being the night that he told his disciples for the last time that he would be crucified, he would, be, he would die and he would rise from the dead. Second time was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying that God would take the crucifixion from him so he didn't have to drink of that cup. But the third time is the scene that we see play out in Mark chapter 11, where Jesus stands at the top of the Mount of Olives looking out over the city of Jerusalem. But when Jesus is at, uh, at, at the, looking out at the city, it's not as a tourist. And he's not trying to take a selfie during the golden hour at that time. In fact, he wasn't happy about this moment at all. I want you to look at how Luke actually describes the same moment that we see in Mark chapter 11. There it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Luke adds that he wept over it. And he said, if you even, this is Jesus' word, if you even knew, had only known on this day what, bring, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So on the Mount of Olives, Jesus weeps over this city, a city that he loves because he knows that they were missing out on peace. The Prince of Peace, Jesus, they were missing out on him. Even though Jesus had done so much, taught so much, healed so many, helped so many people, it just said that they were still blind to who he really was. But despite his tears, Jesus gets closer to the city. He actually enters the city. And when he does it, he does it in a very unique manner uh, and it has incredible significance to it. So let's unpack that together. Look in Mark chapter 11. We'll reread chapter uh, verse one. We'll start again where it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, uh, sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They, they went and found a colt outside the city, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. 
So Jesus uh, goes with his disciples, says, hey, I want you to go ahead of this village and I want you to, and, and he, they go outside of Jerusalem proper to this small little village. And it appears that Jesus had made some arrangements to borrow a colt or a donkey is another way of saying it. Uh, from this, from these family. Now, now, when Jesus tells his disciples, right? When he says, when he says this to it, go ahead and go to that next one if you could, guys. Uh, when he says, "Why are you doing this?" Um, say, "The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly." When he says that phrase right there, that's not like a Star Wars phrase where it's these aren't the droids you're looking for. You know, it's not that kind of thing at all. He's not trying to play a mind game with them. It seems as though Jesus had predetermined that response as a code phrase to the owner to know that Jesus was the one that was receiving that colt or donkey. But regardless, Jesus now has this colt. He's got a donkey, and for some reason, he's got it with him, but we don't quite know yet. That's why we keep reading. Look at verse seven. We get to find out why. Verse seven says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, guys, this is such a cool passage here. There's so much going on here that it's it's worth considering a few things as we look at it. Now, the first thing is that not only will understanding this help us with Mark 11, but it'll help you understand Easter just a little bit as it comes up in a couple of weeks. But the first thing to notice is that this little, this, this type of entrance that Jesus has into the city is not done all the time. Okay, it's not like every person that comes through is like Aladdin, you know, like with the, with the goats and the camels and like all that stuff. And not like that at all, no. And also remember that Jerusalem was in the control of Rome. So if anyone was going to receive that type of entrance, it would be a Roman official. Not some random rabbi from Nazareth that really they had no idea who he was. But the second thing to note is what Jesus was riding on, because when you know what he was riding on, you know what it all means. Jesus was riding on a colt or a donkey. Now to us, riding on a donkey seems like, you know, like, with, like Jesus coming into town in a 2008 Honda Civic with 280,000 miles on it, just barely making it in. You know, that's what we think of. I mean, you don't see kings or, or warriors in movies riding into battle on the back of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Like that's not what you see, right? They're white stallion, ready to go. But the donkey back at Jesus' time was not seen as a beast of burden, but the ride of royalty. In the Old Testament, we see that donkeys were reserved for the most important people and often those that had significant power. So Jesus coming in on a donkey would have been a huge sign to the people that royalty was coming. And in addition to that, Jesus riding on that donkey was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where he talks about Jesus thousands of years before he ever came. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king, that's Jesus, comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a what? On a donkey, the colt of the foal of a donkey. And so when the people of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, saw Jesus coming in on this donkey, they knew exactly what that meant. So this was was why they were throwing down their cloaks. This is why they were throwing down garments and, and palm branches, because these were actions that were fit for a king. And on top of that, what they shouted confirmed what they were doing. Again, look at what they said, Mark chapter 11, verse 10. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So these are shouts that are reserved for not just a king, but for a Messiah. Because what Hosanna actually means is it means to save now. 
to save now. That's what Hosanna means. So the people were shouting this to Jesus, but they weren't just making this up on the fly. They were actually quoting scripture. They were, they were, they were, capt- they were re- re- repeating the Old Testament where David would say this in Psalm 8, 118, Lord, save us, right? There it is, save now. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So, so keep this in mind, okay? So Jesus is seeing all this take place in front of him. Palm branches waving, garments being placed down in front of them, people shouting, people cheering, quoting scripture at him. But you wanna notice something very interesting about that? He never corrects them. He, he never stops them and says, oh, no, 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 stop now. I'm just riding through on my burro. Don't worry about me. But he's never saying, y'all are too kind. You know, listen, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a lowly carpenter. My name's Jesus. He doesn't do any of that, which means only one thing. He's agreeing with them. He's saying, without saying, yep, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of David. That's what he referred to himself in the Old Testament. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. He's slowly but surely making a very public declaration that he is who he said he is and that this is the reason he was sent. But I can't help but think that as he's going through that town on that donkey that there probably are a few tears that are left behind from that moment on the Mount of Olives. Tears knowing that the city that seems to love him so much in this moment, very soon is gonna hate him and murder him. Yet, to me, it's always interesting to think, how is this still hidden from their eyes, to use Jesus' words? How is it possible for them not to see what's happening? How could it be that they could not see the Messiah in front of them after all of the affirmations, after all that he's allowing to take place? How could it be that the people were still unable to see this taking place? Well, part of the reason is that the people ushered Jesus in as a king, but he wasn't the king they would want him to be. They wanted a king that would overthrow Rome and let them be free, but he wasn't there for an earthly rule. He was was there to bring heaven to earth so that one day earth could go to heaven. And, And this is what Jesus would do all the time. He would time and time again, he would do the exact opposite. He would focus on the exact opposite things that the world said that he should be paying attention to or should be focused on. And we see that yet again when it happens again today as we continue to look. Look at verse 15 as we see this scene continue to play out. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were there who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of, the selling, of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is not... Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? So so the next day, Jesus gets up after this triumphal entry, decides to go to the temple, and as he's doing that, no, no doubt he probably was walking over some remnants of cloaks that were still there, maybe some palm branches that the street sweepers hadn't cleaned up from this day before. He leaves this triumphal entrance of Jerusalem behind and makes his way to the temple. The temple is the holiest of holy places for Jewish people. They would come there to worship God and be close as they possibly could to God's presence. But when Jesus gets there, he see he's destroyed by what he sees. In the very temple that was created for those that wanted to come near to God, to worship God, to be in the very presence of God, they had turned it into a farmer's market of sin. Or, or as Jesus would describe it, it made it into a den of robbers, he's quoting the prophet Jeremiah at that time. 
Because these so-called religious leaders, they were taking advantage of people right in the middle of God's house, of his own presence. And the reason that we know that is because of one small detail that Mark makes sure to, to, to mention that you might have missed if you read it too quickly. I want you to notice what they were selling. It says that they were selling doves. Now, why is that important? Let me explain. When people would come to the temple, they would offer sacrifices to the Lord. This was the Old Testament system of how you worship God. It was established by God before Jesus came. So people would come, they would sacrifice food or animals to the Lord at the temple. They would journey there and they would, they would sacrifice these things there. Well, what the Jewish leaders did is they're like, oh, look at that. There's a chance to make a quick buck. And so what they did is they would sell animals for people to be able to, to sacrifice at the temple. This is why those money changer tables were being flipped over by Jesus, right? These are the ones that were exchanging the money. Imagine Jesus lighting up the checkout at Macy's at Black Friday. That's what is happening, right? He's just lighting it up. But the significance of this animal right here is very important because the dove was typically used by poor people as their sacrifice because doves were cheap, but they were still acceptable by God for sacrifice. So what these Jewish leaders were doing, they're like, hmm, let's upcharge for the doves and let's take advantage of the poor people. People that might have spent their last dime to be able just to get to the temple one time in their lifetime, now they enter the temple and they have to pay a tax on doves that will rival the California DMV invoice, right? They're like, where's all these fees coming from, right? It's worse than getting a bottle of water at the airport after you get past the gate, right? You're in purgatory at that point because you ain't going to go back out and you aren't that close to the gate. And they got, sorry, that's just what happened last week to me. So anyway, right? <laughs> anyway, right? But I'm telling you right now, this right here, way worse than that. These religious leaders were taking advantage of the poor. They were overselling these sacrifices in the temple to make a profit off of poor people. So when Jesus sees this, his righteous anger bubbles over the surface like a boiling tea kettle of disgust. It's as if he looks around and he says, no, 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 that's enough. I will not let you take advantage of these people, not on my watch, not in my house. Now stop for a second though. And, and I want you to place yourself in that scene. Could you even imagine what the poor people must have been thinking when Jesus comes in the temple and goes rage room on all the temple freaks that are in there sell, like selling people stuff, right? They had to be floored. Somebody's actually seeing this atrocity, this abomination that's happening in front of God's sight. Finally, they must have been amazed that they were at the very least seen. And right there in that moment, we get to see the fresh perspective of Jesus through the eyes of the poor that I want us to focus on today. And that is Jesus will always look out for the left out. He'll always look out for the left out. Je Jesus is always scanning the room, if you will, for the people that no one is talking to or have that little oddity that nobody wants to be around or just alone in the corner, always looking out for them because he wants to be with that guy or that gal. He wants to connect with them. And we see that throughout the Bible because that is the God of the Bible. Psalm chapter 41 tells us so clearly, blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Proverbs 14 would go on to say, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, that's God, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. 
Jesus would even explain it a little bit more. In Luke chapter six, he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus just says that the kingdom of God is for the poor. It's the poor. It's for the outcast, marginalized, left out, left stomped underfoot. And so he calls us as believers in Jesus, the ones that want to be followers and disciples of him, to do the very same thing. Now, I love our church for all kinds of reasons. I love how intentional we are about reaching out to our ones to share Jesus with them. I love how we make sure that we care for one another, that we believe in doing life with one another, not just by ourselves. But another thing I love is how intentional we are about looking out for the left out. And and sometimes what happens is that we don't take a lot of time for you to be able to understand and highlight some of those things. And and if you're brand new to the church, you're probably like, what does that even mean? How does that work? Well, here's the deal. This isn't like a rah-rah session for Crossroads. I just want you to know some things that are happening within this church and ways that you can be a part of it and and be involved if you want. So uh, just to push pause for a second, I want to invite out one of our pastors, Pastor Jim Todd, to be able to talk a few minutes about what we as a church are doing to look out for the left out. So would you give it up for Pastor Jim Todd? Yeah! Looking good, man. How we doing? I'm doing good. Good. So um, you've been around here like a minute or two. Like how long have you been around Crossroads? 34 years. 34 years. Man. And our church is what, 35 years? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sweet, right? So, and you've been involved in so many different areas, student ministries, all kinds of stuff, but where you're really, your passion right now is your, your missions and outreach and those types of things. So, so as we were talking before, we're like, okay, as we think about looking out for the left out, really three areas that we really focus on, hunger, the unique, and then the homeless. So walk us through a little bit about what that looks like. What are we doing for the hungry right now? So for the hungry, I know monthly we connect with Second Harvest Food Bank. They roll a truck over here with three to five tons of food. And in a matter of an hour, they provide wholesome food for people who they get there an hour or two early and they stand in line for food. Truck shows up and in about a half an hour's time, we, it's almost like a Dr. Seuss, Whoville sort of thing. The tr- and the tables come out and the food all goes out there. And then we pray and then folks come through. And then folks are standing in line, whether it's drizzling, whether it's freezing and they're shivering, and they just say, thank you. Thank you guys for for providing this. And it's like playing with house money. I'm not a gambler, but playing with house money is like, I didn't bring it, but I get to serve it. And then we get all sorts of interactions with people who are so thankful. Yeah. Um, Citrus Saturday is something that we do once a year and we connect with the food bank and we we arrange picking excess citrus at people's place and then take it to the food bank and they distribute it. Um, in January, we did 188 volunteers in 2.5 hours. They collected 5,500 pounds, awesome. almost 53 tons historically for Crossroads. And then we take it to the food bank. They take it to these food distributions and folks receive this food. Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, we did something super cool. We've kind of seen a few pictures here. Oh, but the, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, feeding of the 5,000 plus. Yeah. It was almost like some sort of cartoon of uh, Transformers. This auditorium became a food distribution site, yeah. packaging and sealing meals to go to places like Hurricane Katrina or countries like uh, um, Ukraine. I think even. Ukraine yeah. was yeah. the last load. And but our folks in two and a half hours bagged forty-two thousand one hundred twenty meals to go so to cool. people in need. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
So yeah, really looking out for the hungry, which is just amazing. I was a part of that event. It was super great. Got to wear a hairnet. It was really cool. Um, but, um, but also the unique. We look out for the unique. Yeah, we connect with Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow Foundation, and we provide Night to Shine, which is a prom for those with special needs. And it's like prom done well. This auditorium, the whole building is trans transformed into an event center. I mean, we still got the disco ball in the auditorium right up above. <laughs> Uh, we don't know where to store that. That's a good place just to keep it. <laughs> but it's like everything that a prom was, we provide for those with special needs. They and their family are cared for. There's lavish words of, you know what? God cares for you and loves you. And then at the end of the evening, each of them are transformed as they're uh, announced as king of the prom or queen of the prom. Just a really cool experience. Yeah. We have it on Sunday mornings. We, yep. we have a group for kids with special needs, yep. and it's a phenomenal ministry. Those volunteers really know everybody. And then there's an adult group, yep. um, adults with special needs. And yep. Tuesday nights, they meet on, on, online, and yep. then they get together once a month. You can go to crossroadsgrace.org slash A-U-N, adults, unique needs, yep. and um, just a neat, neat ministry. Yeah, so the hungry, the unique, um, and then finally we get the homeless, which is, I think, something we all see and we all are, can see around us, but how are we engaging and looking out for them? You know, we're engaged in a ministry that um, isn't everybody's cup of tea. And in this ministry, you're going out and you're facing situations where you're just kind of going, okay, this shouldn't be. What should I do? Um, these are folks that, you know, Jesus talks a lot about caring for people who aren't like the beautiful people who will invite you back if you invite them over. It's one of the reasons I hang out with giant fans sometimes. All right, all right, that's good. You're fine. <laughs> but I know around here, um, you know, let's be honest, they've cut our hoses, they've broken our windows, they called in a bomb threat once. I ministered to that guy. And I get contacts from people saying, hey, I connected with this person, this person, this person. We engage them in conversation. We ask them questions. We listen. We listen to their story. Yeah. Um, we pray for them. And at the end, we make sure, hey, did you know that there are services for you? And a lot of people are engaged to care for your needs. But like living out here isn't like how you're supposed to live. They, they think they're living off the grid and they're on private or public property. And um, my mind spins as, as we're out there and I'm just kind of going, gosh, you can hear the rain out there. Yeah. Is there tarp? Is there tent? Or is the cardboard like keeping them warm at night? But we engage them in conversation. We can't fix them but we can help them maybe get beyond their broken relationships. Uh, they have a host of broken relationships because they burnt their trust. Some of them, they're dealing with mental illness and yeah. you know what, without medication, it's gonna be rugged. And then a vast majority of them, drugs and alcohol and dependency, we, we can help some of them find a program if they want to. But like a couple visits ago when I was out, I was, I was wanting to throw up because everybody had a bong and everybody was getting high, but that's how they were getting by on the streets. You know, that's what you do to keep an eye open at night for your own safety. Yeah, but and what's, in, it, it, what's I love is that our, we, we go into that, right, and, and a good thing that you can also be a part of that. So a lot of all these ministries that we're talking about is things that you can be a part of. CrossroadsGrace.org slash outreach is a way that you can be involved with that. We'll probably keep the bong stuff over here, but you can help with everything except for... <laughs> For that, but uh, Pastor Jim, 34 years, you're amazing. Thanks for all you do. We all love right. you. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So great stuff. Great, great stuff. A way for you to get involved. Pastor Jim will be in the lobby if you want to get a chance to talk with him a little bit. Um, 
about those and some other things also. But uh, let's just enter back into the story a little bit, back in with Jesus, and, and see that Jesus is really making a statement in this temple. He is clearly establishing whose side that he's on. And it's not the religious, it's not the money makers. He's on the side of the marginalized, of the poor, of the left out. Jesus is siding with those that he would say are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But this is a group that no one cares about, no one sees, no one really gives a, 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 a second of thought to. But yet Jesus is there flipping over tables, driving people out of the temple for them. And when this happened, this caused the religious leaders to lose it, y'all. Lose it. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. It says, it says the next day, as they were leaving, oh, excuse me, verse 18 says, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Jesus called out the hypocrisy in the religious leaders. And here's why he did this. I want you to pay attention to this. Because there is no way to worship God and abuse the poor. You can't do it. Why? Because if you're following Jesus, Jesus always looks out for the left out. So, so when Jesus called out these religious entrepreneurs, right, not only, did they not only did their wallets get hurt because their dove side hustle was shut down, but also they were embarrassed in front of all the people. So after this triumphant entry into the city as a king and him standing up for, the, for the, the marginalized in the middle of the temple, Jesus is now number one on the hit list of the Jewish leaders. Except there was one small problem that you might have saw, this problem right here. The whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. It's as if the crowd, the left out, they all of a sudden got to speak up because they knew that what Jesus was saying was right. And these leaders, those, these religious leaders, they had to have that stopped. So this began, this began this long, slippery slope down to the cross because the le religious leaders became blind. They were blind to the fact that this Jesus was the Messiah, and instead they saw him as somebody that was causing a mess of their lives. So they said, you know what? We gotta get rid of him. I can't follow him. I gotta get rid of him. And sadly, I see that so many people, including me sometimes, do that very same thing with Jesus, that we would rather get rid of Jesus than follow Jesus. Wait, Jesus wants me to wait until I get married to move in with my girlfriend, even though she's really, really pretty and rent is high, right? Like, no, 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 I gotta get rid of Jesus. Wait, wait, Jesus, Jesus wants me to, uh, to give up my time and my resources and even give to the local church? Like, he wants me to, no, 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 I wanna spend it on me. Jesus, I'm gonna get rid of you. Uh, Jesus says that, that I should honor my father and mother even when they were really, really bad to me and I'm not sure if I really respect them anymore. I should do that. No, 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 Jesus, I need to get rid of you and I need to continue to, to be mad at my parents. You know, see, here's the deal. That we see, we may see, we may say we wanna follow Jesus, but our natural sinful instinct is to get rid of him when it gets tough to do it. The religious leaders, they had to get rid of Jesus so they could keep doing whatever they wanted to do. They needed power, they needed influence, they needed wealth that was created by what they were doing and Jesus was a nuisance to that plan. They didn't have time to look out for those that, that, that were left out because all they had time to do was look out for themselves. That's all they cared about. And so when you have that posture, when all you do is look out for yourself, here's what happened. You start to exploit other people because they're in the way of what you want. So you, you don't look out for the left out. You forget the left out. But what I don't want you to do, though, here's what I don't want you to do as you leave here today. I don't want you to think this. I don't want you to think rich, bad, poor, good. 
Don't want you to think that at all. That's not at all. In fact, if you really break down today to the very core of what Jesus is saying, you will see something completely different, and I would say even more important than dollars and cents. That as you consider this, I want you to consider this, and we draw our attention toward communion. I want you to see how Jesus breaks this down. It's right after he has this interesting interaction with a fig tree, uses that interesting illustration. You can read about that during the week in Mark 11. But after he gets done with this fig tree illustration, he says something really powerful and very strong. Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, let me be very clear about this really fast, okay? This is not about health and wealth. We already talked about it at the front end. This isn't about more faith equals more money equals more success equals more whatever. Not that at all. No, no, no. What this is about is about pure faith in God that believes that he can do all things. A faith that through Jesus, sin can be overcome and true life is only found in him. A faith that says that if it is God's will, that mountain can go swimming. A faith that believes that he's even going to give us the strength, can you believe it, to forgive someone that hurt us? It's about nothing held back faith in Jesus. Because listen to me, faith has nothing to do with how much you make. Has nothing to do with how much limelight is on you or how outcast you are. Jesus doesn't care about any of that. He cares about you. He loves you. And he wants you to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. And he proved it by taking on the cross for you. This is the truth that Jesus wants us to believe each and every day of our lives, that no matter what this world tells you is true. The truth about Jesus is what we cling to. And that faith, no matter how small or how great that might be, will never go unnoticed by by King Jesus. And because of that, we have an assurance of an eternity forever with him. Because Jesus always looks out for the left out. Now, um, this year I got, I've started something new. I, uh, I'm the assistant baseball coach for the East Union varsity baseball team, um, as if I needed something else. But yeah, like I'm, and I, I, love, I get a chance to coach with my friend Dan and, and invest in the lives of students. It's so fun. It's so fun. Um, but the other day, uh, we, were, we, we played Rippin High, Okay, so we played Rippenheim in, in baseball. Uh, and, and it was interesting. It was our second game, and so I was coaching first. I missed the first game because I was in Arizona. So first time around the guys in like a competition setting. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, it got to be like the third or fourth inning. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in sports before. Things escalated really quickly. Like this tension rose between the teams. Like you've experienced this before, right? Now, normally, you can see it coming. You know, it's like, oh, little things stack on the uh, This thing like went like really fast. And so I'm like, whoa. And I mean, we're talking about like chipping and, blah, 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 you know, I got this thing might go down. Like, I don't know. Do I have my brass knuckles? Like, what do I got? You know, like, anyway, I don't know. We're going we're gonna to go. We're going to go, you know. But um, no, 
But, but, but it was interesting. So, it, and even like after they shook hands, it was a tense handshake. We won the game, whatever. And then we were over on the third baseline uh, and they were sitting down. Our team was sitting down there. We were kind of talking to them. The other team was kind of chirping down the right field line. So we were still kind of going, game is over. And so I was like, okay, okay, just, just relax, just relax, just relax. And then there was something interesting that, that, that for the first time I saw it uh, as a team. Now, now on our team, there's a young man, his name is Jaden. And, and Jaden is somebody that has unique needs. And, and he is, he's on the team, he's the, he's the greatest cheerleader, he, he lo- he's, he's the sweetest, sweetest young man, and, and just love him. But all of a sudden, our team that was sitting down, they, they get up and they run back on the field, our catcher puts on his full gear, goes and sits behind the plate, and they say, hey, we gotta get Jaden is at bat. So they all take their positions in the field, they all are in the exact same positions, a pitcher gets back out, tucks his shirt and goes back out. Throws Jaden a couple of pitches on like the third or fourth pitch, he ropes one to center. Just like, like just hits it right to center field. Better than some of the other guys the whole day. Like just hit it all the way to center. And the second he hit that ball, East Union freaked out. We just started like cheering and clapping and everything is running all our bases. But you know who else was cheering too? Ripping high. Together, just, just celebrating somebody that, that oftentimes is overlooked. Just celebrating as he comes across home plate, cheering like crazy for them. All of a sudden, those walls that were between us start to just, just kind of fade away a little bit. I just would ask you to think that don't you think if we started to look out for the left out that maybe some walls would come down? That, that, that maybe that's what Jesus wanted this entire time. Maybe the reason that he looked out for the left out was because if you understand what they're going through, that you might receive the kingdom of God because you're more humble, you're not prideful, you're not worried about things you don't need to. And maybe this world would be different instead of trying to push people away. We try to bring them close. So this week, as you you reread Mark 11, maybe something else you can do is to find a way to help the poor this week, to to look out for the left out somehow. Talk to Pastor Jim, go to the website, or obviously want you to invite your one to Easter, but maybe this week you could think about the left out a little bit more and understand that as our eyes focus on not ourselves, but to other people, we all of a sudden start to see how Jesus sees the world. As we prepare our hearts for communion, having the song sung over us, I pray that your spirit might be moved by the spirit of God who would speak to you and ask you to look out for the left out. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just pray right now as we prepare our hearts for communion to remember you, Jesus, the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross, your broken body, your shed blood, that you would help us, that you would help us to not be so concerned about us and what we want and what we need that we lose sight on what you want us to see. And so, Father, I pray that our lives could be an offering to you, that we would pour out everything that we have to you because you're worthy and you love us and you gave us the cross to prove it. So Jesus, in this moment of reflection, we simply just pause and say thank you, but also give us a heart that beats like yours and sees as you see. In your name we pray. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community, or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. 
Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast. 